I'm Dr. Lara Devgan. I'm a plastic surgeon in New York City, the CEO of Scientific Beauty, and of course, a major beauty enthusiast. You are listening to Beauty Bosses, where we chat with fellow industry leaders who are shaping beauty, fashion, wellness, and all things pretty. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 17 of Beauty Bosses. Uh, I'm so pleased to have here with us Natalie Cram, uh, who's a celebrated interior designer. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love listening to your podcast. It's such a pleasure to be in your office. Which, by the way, looks beautiful. Thank you so much. Well, it's so nice to have you. Um, You know, let me just start by telling everybody a little bit more about you. So Natalie uh, was born and raised in Buenos Aires, and you moved to the United States in 2001 to Florida. Yes. Um, So from there, tell us a little bit about how you got to be the interior designer you are today. So I would say that it really dates back to when I was growing up. Um, so I was born in Buenos Aires, Argentina. My mother was an architect. I mean, she graduated as an architect, but she was working as a decorator. Um, she would take jobs uh, like in smaller scale, like compared to what I do right now. She would do maybe one project at a time, like once a year. So I would come with her um, to the project site and see the contractors and the painter. And I didn't realize at the time that I that I liked it, it was just, you know, coming along with my mother. But then on the other hand, um, my grandmothers and my great-grandmothers, they were always very into setting a beautiful table and having beautiful china. They came, one came from Manchester and one came from Egypt, so they had, like, really amazing furniture that we still pass it around through our houses. Um, so I was always inspired. I would always, like, take a look at the details from setting up a table to cooking a beautiful meal for the family. So just like all the details, even traveling, um, I, I don't know, like I got started training my my eye to this day. So, I mean, it leads into much more. I could continue, but this is how it really started. Okay. Um, and then, I mean, should I continue going with all the yeah, details? Yeah, well, so there I want to say. Yeah, there's a lot to say. There's a lot to say. So let's fast forward a little bit. So you... Um, graduated, and you actually started private banking, which is kind of a far cry from design. But we sort of are hearing little threads in the background of how your family likes design, your mother has a design interest in business. Um, So while you were at USB doing private banking for high net worth clients, um, you started to feel like being in an office was maybe not the perfect fit for you. Yeah. So what got you from a career in banking to a career in interior design? So I always loved business and finance. Um, like I just loved it when I was in high school. I was one of the best students in math. And then when I was in college, I would decide to study finance. I didn't see interior design as a career. I mean, I felt like to be successful, finance was like a safer way to, to go. So, and I was also good at it, so I decided, let me study finance and, you know, work at it, because I love it, I was actually very into it, and also study art on the, like, not on the side, just like taking art classes, like when I was in college, I went to Italy to study for a semester, and I would always go to museums, my eye was always like, I just did it as a hobby, now, I didn't see it as a career, because I was very ambitious, and I felt like studying finance was more of a guarantee profession, and... Um, 
So I moved to New York. I, I graduated and I was offered a job here in the city. And I convinced my family to move here because coming from Argentina, they didn't really want me to to go far from them. But it was such a great opportunity. So I moved to New York and I started working at UBS doing um, private banking for high net worth individuals from Latin America. So I was surrounded by a great team, all um, Latin American clients and my bosses. They were really like such a great influence on me. But then I got my first apartment, which I decided to design. My mother came, so the two of us were very like fast paced. So mm-hmm. over a weekend we went, we bought some furniture, we got even fabrics, we reupholstered the chairs. We made pillows. Instead of just going to a regular store, we decided like to varnish the table. We bought a, um, a vintage table that we saw in Craigslist, I think. And I'm like, I love the table, but it needs a coat of varnish. So we went to Home Depot. We got varnish. We reupholstered the chairs. I know we did so much. Um, she's an artist also, so she helped me make some art for my apartment. And then that led to my second apartment when I got married. I met my husband. A few months after moving to New York, we got married, I think, like a year and a half later. Um, so we got our first apartment, and that was another interesting project for me. So my bosses were like, you're so into design. Like, I, I just love looking at furniture, and, and I was so into doing designing my apartment. So, I don't know, like, I started to feel like this was kind of what I wanted to do in the future. I said, I love finance and banking, but I know I'm going to have babies soon, and the day that... I become a mother, I don't really want to be in an office 24-7. I want to work and work for myself, but also do interior design. So I decided to use my finance background and business background that I learned um, to apply it and open my own company. So that is really interesting. But I love that you have a hard math finance background because a lot of times people think of interior design as um, a softer field where... Mm-hmm. It's all about what looks pretty, um, but I am really interested in how you've made this into a viable business. So could you tell us about that? So you leave banking, you have kids, you decide you're starting an interior design business. How do you actually make it into a business? Well, I always say that in your design business, you're really designing 10% of the time, and the other 90% you're like, running after people, trying to get the workers to show up and the carpenter to to do the job on time. So it's really like a chasing game and it requires a lot of efficiency and, and management. So definitely my finance and business background helped and it helps every day. I see designers that are like struggling with their budgets or I don't know, their time. I just, I always say like I'm very organized. So do you always stay on budget? Because that's a trope of design in New York yes. City, that it's double your budget. Yeah. I mean, my clients are the ones that change the budget. It's not me. I yeah. always, like, when they ask me to make a budget, I, I do it and I try to stay. But then they see a table that, like, oh, my God, I love this thing. I'm like, okay, but you know what's going to happen. But, but yes, I mean, I'm, I'm very good with staying on budget and organizing and being efficient, being on time. I'm, like... Very fast. I, I don't like to wait. My assistants will say that we drive people crazy because when we have something to do, we'll call them until it gets done. Like, there's no, you know, no waiting. And, there you I don't go. Know. I'm I from South it. America, but, you know, we're not slow. We're the opposite. You like to get things done. <laughs> we like to be very efficient and get things done. Okay, great. Um, how did you get your first client? 
So um, when I was when I got married to my husband, my sister-in-law, she was also in interior design school. I forgot to mention that when I was working at the bank at UBS, um, I would go and take night classes at Parts and FIT on interior design because I saw it as a future career. So I would go to work and then go to school after to try to get the classes that I felt like were necessary in order to start my own business. So anyway, my sister-in-law, she was also studying interior design as a second career. And, you know, we had like very similar aesthetic, like a similar eye. So she was offered a job and she felt like, you know, we would be great together. So she asked me to jump on board with her. So we did this project together and we decided to become a team. So the company, when it started, was um, called J and K Interior. So it was our initials. And we worked together for a few years, but then unfortunately she had to move to London. But we did um, several projects together. And then she had to leave to London. I stayed and changed the name of the firm to Natalie Crane Interiors. But, but yeah, we started small. It would be one project at the time. We did an apartment downtown, which actually was a gorgeous, gorgeous apartment. Um, the good thing about being in New York, New York is that you get like amazing opportunities, which in other states, uh, even countries, you probably don't get. So I'm very lucky to to be here because people love to hire designers, people love to spend money and to live the quality of life. Yeah. Was your first client somebody that you knew or was it a stranger? So I didn't know. To me, it was a stranger, but my sister-in-law knew. Okay, was so there was a little bit of a basis. Yes. So in reality, like all my clients, um, I generally know or they know of me, but they're like, I work with a very tight community um, that it's all through word of mouth. I don't really do marketing or advertising. Like I do a project and then a friend of a friend sees it and then the other person sees it. So from one project alone that I did years ago, maybe I got 15 phone calls from friends of my client that want to see the apartment. And it's just great. It's, it's great because like I know that I can trust my clients in general because I know where they come from and they know yeah. where I come from too. So and I love that it's organic growth too because yes. everybody is very fixated on media and marketing and social media and you know press and PR. Yes. But on some level, you know, while all of that stuff is nice and important, it's really you know design like surgery is an n equals one experience. So if you make one person very happy then they represent their whole network of people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, everything for me initially was through word of mouth. Now also Instagram became very popular. I started doing my Instagram, I don't even know, when it first came out. Mm -hmm. So now I have like 20,000 followers. And I get phone calls from people that follow me on Instagram, but they're still friends of friends. And they're still, you know, I mean, not everybody, but they're still people that I can relate so it's good. Like I, I choose my clients and my clients choose me and, and it's a good thing. But yeah, it definitely helps. I don't do marketing or PR, but I do participate in many events that um, brand, like help me brand my company. Yeah, so tell us about some of your events. So and Natalie, for those of you who aren't aware of this, has been featured in a bunch of publications, including Elle Decor, House Beautiful, Architectural Digest, uh, Time Out New York, many others. Um, and you're pretty well known for um, t 
tabletop design, and um, you've made some really fabulous tablescapes for some big, important galas here in New York, including um, the Lenox Hill Gala. So tell us a little bit about that. Okay, so it really started a little bit over four years ago. So when I when I started doing, you know, interior design on my own after my sister-in-law moved to London, I came across a show house called Holiday House. So it was always my dream to design a show house room in the city. So I decided to send an email and, you know, take a chance and see what happens. So my website wasn't even fully done because we were going through this, you know, separation. So I decided to, like, redo my website overnight. I spent, it, you know, maybe six, eight hours at night just, like, fixing and making sure everything was perfect. I sent an email and a few days later I get a reply back saying, okay, let's meet on Monday and, and we'll see what happens. So I show up to this beautiful townhouse in New York and they told me, okay, this is going to be your room. We would love for you to join us. So I was like so amazed because it was such an incredible opportunity. I always see all these amazing designers that I admire making gorgeous rooms. And I'm like, okay, this, this event is sponsored by um, traditional home magazine and I get the opportunity to work with top talent in New York and, and even like all the fabric companies that I love and the furniture companies. So this was the beginning. And really that show house took me to design so many other industry events. I got a lot of press uh, notice. So then after this, I was invited to design a tabletop for the Lenox Hill Gala. So this was also like three years ago. And after that, one thing led to the next. So I always... I'm always invited to design tabletops and show houses. I did two show houses already for a holiday house, two tabletops for the Lenox Hill Gala. Um, also, I, I just designed a room for um, an event called Design on a Dime for housing works. So I'm always involved in the industry and I'm trying to do these charity events because the design industry is so giving and so supportive that I like to get involved. And also it's a great way to brand myself and get marketing but I really do it for the charity aspect and and I love being surrounded by all these amazing designers. I've made so many great friends from it and, and it's like supporting each other. I feel like there's no competition. Um, even last week we finished designing this beautiful um, event which was Design on a Dime and after the event we all decided to go out for dinner and we're all talking about our you know, problems in the industry and, and what we like to do and what we don't like to do and our clients and we said we have to do this more often. So we're That's also supporting awesome. I really like that actually because um, you often hear stories about how industries can get very competitive and cutthroat, especially amongst a certain echelon and tier of professionals. You know, mm -hmm. people start trying to sabotage each other and tear each other down. Mm -hmm. But you're really having the opposite experience in the design world where you feel like it's a supportive community yeah. and you're all kind of doing your own thing and on some level competitors, but helping each other. Yeah, I feel like the design industry is small but big at the same time. So it's small because we all know each other and, you know, you go to one event and you see everyone and you end up becoming friends with them because you keep bumping into the same people over and over, but then at the same time, it's a big industry because there's jobs and work for everybody. I love that. Yes, it's just I great. think that, and I think that you know, when people who are 
quality professionals in a given field work together, um, or even if they just coexist together and support each other, then the industry as a whole benefits. You know, then you think yes. of more creative ideas and you push each other a little bit further, and it's almost like you know a collaborative group. And it's interesting that you bring this up because it's something that I've thought a lot about. Plastic surgery has a reputation for being a bit of a competitive world, <laughs> um, and um, and I think that you know I've always really believed that. There's enough room for a lot of different kinds of people. And, you know, there are a lot of different kinds of designers, too. Exactly. Yeah, there's a niche for everybody. There's so many different types of designers. So I don't see the other designers as competition. I feel like there's a designer that's a little bit more traditional, one more modern, transitional. And also, like, just, like, the the areas. Like, for example, I love to do, uh, to take jobs in New York City, like in Manhattan, also in Brooklyn, Whaley. I have clients in Florida because my family lives there, so it's, it's convenient to go. Um, so there's, you know, there's so yeah. much work for everybody. How would you describe your unique design aesthetic? I mean, that's a, that question because it's my own, but I would say it's transitional, timeless, and a little like glamorous, I guess. I mean, I love. I'm just obsessed with beautiful fabrics and textures, but I don't like to do anything over the top because I like to create um, a feeling for the client. So every room has to reflect what you want to feel at the moment. So for example, a living room, I try to make them um, serene and beautiful because you spend most of your time in your living room. Then maybe like the van where people like to want to see and watch TV or the kids play. I like to make it a little bit more cozy, and the bedroom also. It depends on the on the space, but I would say overall timeless for sure, and glamorous, and, and very detail oriented. If someone is on a budget and they want to spruce up their living quarters, what are three concrete tips you would give them? So I would say to get pieces that will last for a long time because sometimes people make quick decisions and and then they make a mistake. So mistakes cost money. So choose pieces that they're not like trends. I don't like to follow trends. I'd rather get um, things that you're not gonna get tired of in the future. Um, also try to um, like use like pillows and accessories. If you want to follow a trend, try to like use it on things that are easy to change. Mm-hmm. And I mean, window treatments are very expensive, so sometimes, you know, you want to get the right look. So I would say spending the window treatments because if they already made ones, I don't really feel like they work and, and you know, they just stay forever. You're not changing window treatments down the road. So, yeah, so, so it's all about investments and, yeah. Yeah, and good pieces. The yeah. good pieces. Yeah. Okay, I like that. Do you have any go-to design elements where... Almost every time you do something, you'll think like, oh, I love this one chandelier, or I think that you should really consider uh, this type of frame. Anything like that for you? Yeah, I mean, there are many brands that are my go-to. Yeah, like what? I mean, in terms of fabric companies, I love, the items, even furniture. I just love Dongia, everything from Dongia, whether it's the furniture or the fabrics or the wallpapers, everything from them is just beautiful. I love going to their showroom. If my client cannot afford the French, at least I'll get inspir- inspiration for them and will use the fabrics or the wallpapers that, you know, they're a little bit more affordable. Um, 
I also love the door. There are so many brands that I just love. Um, also, you will see my projects, many carpets with discos. I just love a carpet that has a little sheen on them. It's more delicate, but it's worth like, you, know, you have to be careful of things. So what do you do if you have a client who doesn't agree with your aesthetic? Well, they hire me for the aesthetics. <laughs> so hopefully you, hopefully you guys, yeah. you address that before you get into a Yeah, a you should know what you're getting into. But I'm easy to work with and I'm flexible. I, I always give my clients options. I don't tell them you have to do this and that's what it is. I'm like, easy going. So I always try to make it work. I think it's very important to keep the relationship, you know, perfect. So I, I'm just flexible with my client, but obviously there is a limit, so yeah. you have to respect it. How big is your company at this time? So right now we have, um, it's me and four, four employees. So there's an architect on board, and then um, I have two assistants and an intern. And, and it's great. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So, um, in terms of business, let's talk business and entrepreneurship for a second. When did you feel like interior design took the place of your career at UBS? Like, when did it really become profitable and reasonable? Um, I would say in the past three years or four years. Like, I started a while ago, but in the beginning, I would do. Like I have three kids, so um, you know I couldn't handle so much with three little kids. Now my two older ones are in school, so um, in the past three four years, when my two older ones started school full time, I was able to manage a lot more projects. So initially I would do one project, two projects, and then I found myself like three years ago doing ten at a time. So really like scaling up and doing volume makes up for the difference, and and that really helps you know, build the business because it's hard to have a business when you're doing a few projects at a time. Like you want to do volume and, and you know, just like grow, grow the business. Like I'm, I'm not thinking just design was, I'm thinking uh, like as a business, how to grow the business. I'm even, I was taking some classes on, on scaling up, like what works to make a service business more profitable. Like it's hard because you cannot manage a thousand clients. You can, can only do a few. So like, just techniques for, for for growing and trying to charge more or, or trying to get the right client or, you know, just different ways of scaling up. Cool. That's really amazing. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the biggest challenges you faced um, in your business. So were there any major setbacks that you experienced? Um Nothing particular, but I would say the hardest thing was always to delegate because I'm like a perfectionist and like I started on my own, so I knew how to do everything from placing an order to following up to seeing the installation. So delegating those things are very hard because I want to make sure that it's done to to the level of expectation that I have. So that was always I find that thing. so hard too. Yes. I know. I think when you're a perfectionist, you yeah. sort of have a hard time letting go of your baby, yeah. whether it's your yeah. surgery for your design project yeah. or so whatever. That, you that was something that I was yeah. working on, which really helped in the last couple of years because I realized that um, we're not supposed to do everything. We're supposed to do what we're best at. So if I'm best at designing or, or getting clients or things, I have to spend all my time in that 
and then somebody else has to do the rest. I mean, I still do a lot of the rest, obviously, but like that's what I want to do in the future. I want to try to to spend my time in designing because I'm sure I can delegate, you know, checking installations or making phone calls and errands. So, so yeah, so that's important to me. Okay, good. Well, since this is Beauty Bosses, I want to close by asking you what beauty means to you and what being a boss means to you. Yeah, so beauty, obviously, is from within. It's how you feel. So you have to feel beautiful and you have to be beautiful in the way that you act to be with people and the way that, you know, you carry yourself. So I think it's very important to be confident and and to just be happy with who you are and, and your accomplishments. So if you're happy, there's beauty everywhere. You see everyone beautiful yeah. and it just makes you a happier person. Yeah. And the same with if you walk into a beautiful space and you walk into a beautiful room, it makes you feel good. Yeah. And that's how beauty is communicated to yes, you, right? Exactly. So that's what I try to get. I want my clients to have an experience and a feeling when they walk into the beautiful apartments or houses. So they will feel better if they walk into a beautiful apartment or a home with all these gorgeous details. Yeah. And what does it mean to you to be a boss? So to be a boss also is part of, of beauty. It's like respecting your clients, respecting the people that work for you, um, building relationships, being honest, and always learning and, you know, never stop improving and moving and trying to challenge yourself. That's being a boss because you want to, to grow, you don't want to stop. Yeah, I think that's great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thank You're you. so lovely and I can't wait to hear what's in store for you next and watch your business grow. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. <laughs>